Okay, we are back. We are talking with Mike Broyer. Mike is a farmer, a retired Marine, and a Democratic candidate running for the U.S. Senate in Kentucky. So far, we've talked through his top two priorities in having a just transition to a green economy, as well as access to quality, affordable health care as a right. Now we're on to his third top priority, which if you've been hearing our previous segments, you kind of got that hint. We're talking about universal basic income, living wages, and workers' rights. Uh, Mike, how did this become your third top priority? Um, well, I, I think um, I've said before that I, I backed into UBI because um, when I started my campaign back in July of last year, I, I, I said, okay, the foundation of this campaign is economic and social justice for all. And so, and, and the more I, I used to think of them as two discrete things, economic justice, social justice. But the more I talk to people about it, you know, work myself through the thought process on it, I started realizing how tightly linked um, economic and social justice are. And uh, whether you're in a rural area, which is what I tend to talk about most, because I, I live in one, um, or in an urban area like Louisville or Lexington, um, the things that are happening to them economically are socially unjust, you know, uh, and socially unjust things are happening that it impact them economically. Yeah. You know, last, like, for example, let's talk about mass incarceration, right? For in the last uh, seven years, we've increased the number of women incarcerated in Kentucky by 300%, 300% in seven years. Um, and so that is a, that is a mother. And in many cases, a, uh, not jail, prison. And so the, the economic and social uh, ramifications, the knock-on effect of that um, is devastating both rural and, um, and uh, urban areas. So, so like I said, as I started working my way through these issues, I kind of was backing into um, UBI. And so my son was a big supporter of Yang and uh, Andrew Yang. And so <laughs> it was the first candidate he picked it would tend to mirror your parents' politics. And it was the first candidate that he picked. And I talked to him and said, you know, what is it about this Yang cat that you like so much? And he was like real forthright. He's like, you know, he just, uh, he values everybody. He values whatever work that you do. There's no judging, you know, whether you're punching a clock or, or, uh, or volunteering or teaching or raising a family or caring for an elderly person. It's all work. It all has value and it's all equal. And we need to respect it. And I was like, damn, boy, you know, that's, uh, I like this. And then uh, so um, I had some of these uh, young folks from Andrew Yang's campaign um, approach me about coming to Kentucky and working on my campaign. And I was like, great. And they're like, hey, you need to meet this guy, Scott Santons, and talk to him about your ideas and help you, um, you know, talk you through your ideas and get you, you know, and, and, and so my ideas were probably pretty immature about it because of the way I got to them. But so before I talked to Scott, I went through his top 20 facts about, uh, um, UBI. And I think I'd written down like, like a dozen of them. And they were just the typical questions. Won't cause runaway inflation, all these other things. And so, um, I had a great, very uh, productive conversation with Scott and, uh, he generously, uh, um, agreed to come on my campaign as my senior policy advisor in this area. So I feel that I'm in really, really good hands and on sound uh, ma mathematical and scientific grounds and economic grounds in, in, in going down this path. 
Well, I, I'm really happy you were able to bring on Scott. He's a personal friend of the program here. I've been able to have him on. He's a, you are in great hands in that regard. He is the Good. premier UBI advocate. Uh, one of the questions I had for you is, uh, Scott himself has a couple differences from the Freedom Dividend. Uh, what, how does your plan for a universal basic income compare to that type of a plan? Well, I, you know, my, mine's actually pretty straightforward. I like the, you know, I like the thousand dollars a month for every adult over 18, 500 for, for every child. Um, I do like, and I don't know how Scott stands on the VAT, but, uh, paying for it with paying for it with a VAT. I mean, you know, it's, it's one of those things that, uh, again, I hate, hate to keep repeating the phrase every modern country in the world, but like, yeah. Every place you travel overseas, every country that you want to go visit has got a vat of one way or another. Yeah. And so I, you know, I, I don't see a lot of restrictions on it for me, actually. I, I'm pretty much straightforward, um, cutting people a check, you know, and uh, I, uh, I'm a little bit, I, I haven't worked through the, um, how it impacts um, unemployment. I do, you know, I do agree that any kind of earned benefits you have, like, for example, Social Security, Medicare, um, it goes on top of it, but um, like I said, early days for me, and I have not quite winnowed out um, about uh, uh, piling on or uh, allowing people to pick from one or another. I'm probably tending towards the second one, okay. which I think more in line with what uh, Yang had in mind. But yeah. uh, did I answer your question? No, you did. But I think there was one interesting point you snuck in there almost. You said you also supported giving $500 a month to every child. Is that correct? Yeah. Well, let me tell you why. All right. Kentucky's got the highest rate of child homelessness in the nation. Mm. You know, I was out in Pike County, which is very far eastern Kentucky. 30% of their school aged children, 30% are homeless. And so you've got either um, children raising their brothers and sisters, literally children raising their brothers and sisters, or you've got children who are going from couch to couch to couch to couch every night, not knowing where their next meal and next house is. And so, I mean, literally acknowledging the fact that just because they're minors, they don't have rights. You know, I, I it, it was shocking to me. Um, it was one of those things you hear when you're, you're having a, a group meeting and someone says, gives you a fact and, you know, you smile and shake their hand. And then as soon as you get to your phone, you're like Googling, could this possibly be true? Imagine that. 30% of school-aged children in Pike County, freaking homeless. And so... What, the only solution to that is to empower them to to pick their life as well. I mean, they're already living on the streets already. They're already without a home. They're already feeding themselves and their brothers and sisters. And then to just say, yeah, we're going to give your parents whatever reasons their parents are no longer custodial. Let's give them some more money and because those kids would still be on their own in many, many cases. So yeah. that's the way I feel. I, I'm very happy that you actually made that a difference from Andrew Yang's plan. I think it makes it a lot easier if you are going to say you have to record things like WIC. Uh, having something that you are giving for the children is very important. And when it's even beyond Kentucky, America as a whole has the highest childhood poverty rate of any industrialized nation. So I, I love the fact that you are trying to add that on. I wanted to talk now about the living wage portion. Um, how do you foresee installing something like a living wage? Is it through unionization processes? Is it through raising the minimum wage? And how does that also factor in with a universal basic income too? Well, you know, it's funny. I, I, can, uh, I can always tell what kind of group I'm talking to 
if I, I tell them that you know I find right to work Orwellian, um, if they know what Orwellian means, <laughs> that I yeah. that I know who I'm talking to. Yeah. But so Kentucky's one of those uh, right to work states, which is just an oxymoron, and uh, organization organized labor has been under attacked under attack in this country probably for the last 40 years. And uh, I am absolutely positively for uh, workers' rights and the right to, to unionize. You know, the PRO Act is passed out of um, the House of Representatives with bipartisan support. It probably will get bipartisan support in the Senate, but Mitch McConnell will never, ever, ever in a million years allow it come to a vote. So, you know, what, you know, even even here in Kentucky, under the previous administration, the governor and the legislature passed law saying that individual cities and counties couldn't set their own minimum wage. I mean, this is a, this is a this is a state where we have double the national average working at the minimum wage, and so you've got cities like Louisville, Lexington, Bowling Green, our biggest cities, wanted to set their own minimum wage, which I'll be honest with you, I, I think that uh, you know. I don't even know if $15 an hour would do it in Kentucky. Yeah. I mean, it's just not that much money. Um, so I, I, you know, I'm for labor. I'm for uh, the prevailing wage, you know, having to pay a prevailing wage um, in the absence of uh, hiring union. And uh, so one of the reasons, one of the ways I see bolstering this is this, is that we take national infrastructure and make it a national priority. And that is that our bridges, our roads, our inland waterways, our broadband are considered all part of our national infrastructure, just like the interstate highway system was. It goes onto a schedule, and the things are built, maintained, repaired, and replaced on a schedule, paying union wages or prevailing wage, period. And uh, it, it, and to call, like, let me give you an illustrative example here that, that doesn't affect anybody outside of Kentucky or Ohio. There's a bridge. Uh, that runs into Cincinnati um, from Covington, Kentucky, Interstate uh, 75. And so um, so this Brent Spence Bridge carries 4% of the nation's GNP, crosses that one bridge, and it is literally falling down. And it is on the backs of the people of Kentucky and Ohio to replace it. And uh, so it's like, well, if you want a new bridge, you're going to have to put in tolls. Well, Northern Kentucky, Covington, is a bedroom community for Cincinnati. So all of a sudden, people would be paying $10, $15 a day to go to work, you know, which they just, they just couldn't afford to do. And so I think the way we, we raise the, the, the living wage is we begin a lot of projects. It kind of goes back to what we're talking about, valuing people who work in trades, valuing people who labor, no matter what it is. Um, and, and that's, to me... And, and not forcing states to compete with each other over scraps, that is, hey, it's time to replace the bridge. Off we go. You know? <laughs> yeah. I, you know, get the steel workers, get the stonemasons, you know, and get the get the the international labor union guys out here and let's start, you know, slaying cement. And uh, that's the way I feel about it. And, and we have this process now where you're constantly going to Washington and asking for something. And it builds a – it builds a, a dependent relationship where, you know, and I think the, I think the most disgusting example of this, and I don't want to get too far afield, was the 9-11 first responders. Yes. Yeah. Causing them to go beg, beg Congress. And God bless John Stewart. And not just once. <laughs> right. 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 
so we've got the we've got the black lung disability uh, the black lung disability trust fund here in Appalachia, and so Mitch McConnell allowed it to lapse in 2017, and it caused such a stink. It was reauthorized for one year in 2018, but that means every single year, these coal miners have got to go back to D.C. and beg for, beg for something that coal companies are supposed to be paying, not taxpayers, coal companies. And so every time this falls off and the funding stops, you and I pay into this fund for these coal miners that the coal industry is bound by law to pay and they're let off the hook. So for me... I, I guess if I've got this transformative view for our economy is we take the the competition and the dependency out of it. And we look at things as, as, as human rights, human dignity, that you don't require a guy to haul his oxygen bottle to D.C. every year to beg you for something because that's humiliating yeah. and wrong. I, I totally agree with you, and I totally agree that it is Orwellian, the idea of right-to-work laws, because honestly, we should have that protected unionization by our First Amendment. We have freedom of assembly. That is assembly in its finest form. It's an assembly of workers. Absolutely. Yeah, and so I totally agree with you. It is Orwellian. Uh, one thing you had said in trying to build up these worker rights is through having these good jobs for building up our infrastructure. Do you see that as a jobs program or something like a jobs guarantee? I, I Well, I see it as a benefit. I think these are things that are necessary to have a vibrant economy. You know, you know, I talked earlier about the railroads. I would love to be building railroad cars here. That requires steel. It requires steel workers, electrician, people, you know, people laying track and things like that. So I think that um, strong labor and high wages is an indication of a healthy economy. Mm-hmm. Right now, the thermometer for the economy is the, the stock market, Dow Jones Industrial, you know, Standard & Poor's. And, and to tell someone who's working two jobs at minimum wage that the economy is booming, you know, just look at the stock market. They don't give a rat's ass about the stock market. Yeah. All they know is they got to leave one job and go to the other just to feed their family. And so, yeah, I think that I, I don't see um, – I understand like the WPA um, was started as a jobs program, but it built the backbone of the nation, prepared us for the Second World War. I mean, think about it like – you know, would would we have been able to roll into the industrial needs of the, of the Second World War if we've not if we had not built the infrastructure that we had in the twenties and thirties? I don't I don't know the answer. I think I know, but I don't know for sure. Yeah, no, I think that makes a lot of sense. I'm happy that you decided to go with a more jobs program WPA style than a jobs guarantee. I'm on that same page. Uh, with that being said, I think we can take a quick break before we get to our final segment, which is going to be a couple of the fan questions to ask for Mike. Uh, so, right. Rosebuds, stick around. Speed we'll round. be right back, and we'll go through that speed round. 